0: Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. So, before Nick comes up, I'm going to read an amazing chapter Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple. at him as did John then peter said look at us so the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them then peter said silver or gold i do not have but what i do have i give you In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob The God of our fathers has glorified His servant, Jesus. You handed Him over to be killed and you disowned Him before Pilate, though he had decided to let Him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. God raised Him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through Him that has completely healed Him as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that He may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive Him until the time comes for God to restore everything as He promised long ago through His holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from all their people. Lord, your word is wonderful and you are beautiful and precious. Let it nestle upon our heart now and bless Nick as he comes up. Give him strength and encourage his heart and speak through him in your mighty name. Amen.
1: Thanks, Amanda. Hey, good morning. Lovely to be here with you again. Last time I was here was Christmas, I think. Um, doesn't that seem like a, a fair way away now? Um, how's the year going? All right? It's going okay? Good. Good to hear. Uh, look, this is an amazing story and there's a lot of layers and levels in it. And for each of you here today, you're in different places, different stages, you know, all sorts of things are happening in your life that, that you know about, that perhaps some people know about, maybe no one knows about. But the key thing to say up front here is that God sees you. God sees you and He knows you. He sees you. He sees the one. He welcomes the 99, and, but He sees the one. He sees you. He knows you. Uh, and I know that to be true because that's what He said in His Word. He sees you, but He also speaks to you. He speaks through His Word and He saves. He's a God who speaks, God who sees, a God who speaks, a God who saves. And that's what He'll do this morning among us um, because He is here. And I want to add my um, thanks to all those serving this morning in the, in the worship team. Um, those welcoming. Um, Amber is doing notes up there. Thank you for... You know, helping me preach this morning with, with my stuff up there. Everyone involved, thank you. Everyone who's played a part in bringing church together. There's a lot that happens, a lot that goes on. And um, I get to get up here and speak. But um, we're a team of people doing a, a lot together to serve the Lord and bring his word to the Adelaide Hills and beyond. So let's pick up the story here. We're in Acts, the book of Acts, the um, sort of, Gospel of the church, if you like, the biography of the church. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, kind of the biographies of Jesus. Acts is the biography of the early church. And so we get a, a, a chance, a, a look at what did the church kind of look like in the early stages. Now there's a kind of, you know, a sense sometimes we can read Acts and we get like church envy, Um, But remember, it's a condensed book. It's over a period of time. It hasn't recorded everything that's happened, but it's recorded the key things that God wants us to know as a church to make sure we stay on track, make sure that we are a church in the heart of Jesus, that we're not just kind of making it up and doing our own thing. So in Acts chapter one, Jesus says to his disciples, look, wait here in Jerusalem. Uh, You know, God will pour out his spirit on you. And then I want you to continue my work and my words, but just wait for the Spirit to come. They're in prayer. They're a prayerful church. They're gathered in the upper room and they're praying together. And then the Spirit of God is poured out upon them in a very powerful And and perhaps a unique way at that time, it was the first time the Spirit of God comes upon His people as the church and the body of Christ is born and off they go in power. And one of the first things that happens after that is Peter preaches a sermon, which is really encouraging for people who preach. (laughs) But that's one of the first things that the Spirit led the church to do was to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And that's what we continue to do. That's what we're doing today. Um, We're in Acts 3. This is the first miracle That happened in the church community. Jesus performed lots of miracles, signs and wonders in his ministry, and they're attested to in the Gospels, but they're also attested to by Jewish literature and historians of the day as well. Even people who were kind of enemies of the church acknowledged that Jesus was known for doing miraculous deeds, signs and wonders. And so the church here in Acts chapter 3 is the first time that they see a miracle through the church. So this is what happens. They were a church that sees, and Peter represents the church, and John, they're they're moving out uh, into the community, they're in the public, and they see this man. He's at the gate of the temple. Now, the temple was a huge complex. I'll show you a picture in a moment. If you're visually uh, oriented, um, you can get a bit of a, a feel for what that was like. But they were a church that sees. Peter and John were out, but they saw this man. There may have been tens of thousands of people in the crowd at that time. I'm moving on with my notes too. I don't know if they're up there. Um, But they were a, a church that saw and saw the one, saw the broken. And this man, he was lame from birth. He'd never walked, 40 years old, and he'd never walked. And he was carried there each day outside the temple, and he was placed there so he could beg, so he could receive alms and gifts from people who came into the temple to worship God. And quite likely he wasn't allowed into the, the holier place because of his disfigurement, because of his lameness. So he was kind of part of the community, but, but he was excluded as well. And yet Peter sees him. He sees him. out of all the people, and as he looks at him, I get a sense that, that God is speaking to Peter's heart, that, that he's looking at this man and he's, he's quietly praying, Lord, do you want me to do something? Do you want me to respond? And I think that's a really good thing to remember. If you see people in trouble or you, you come across people who are doing it tough or someone on the street, just pause a moment. Just say, Lord, is there something you want me to do here? Is there something you want me to say? And don't just walk by. This is what we need to do as a church. So he sees this man and have a look at the temple, Um, just where this man was, just to get a sense of how how big this area is. It's like multiple football fields, like tens of thousands of people could have been milling around there. And that gate, the guy, you see the, the arrow there, the little red arrow, that's where he was outside that gate in the temple area. And he's just sitting there as he did day by day. And I thought about this, I'm thinking, Jesus walked up and down and through this temple many times. Peter and John would have walked many times. They would have seen this man. Jesus healed who the Father pointed him to heal. Not everyone was healed in Jesus' vicinity. So this man had been there day in, day out for years. But for some reason, this was his day. This was the day God was going to do something in his life. And it's beautiful. Now, in the ancient world, it was commonplace to associate outer physical characteristics with inequalities. So people literally judged you by the way you appeared. We, they judged books by the cover. Now, I know we can't imagine a culture that is obsessed with image and is obsessed with how people look. Uh, I know that we don't get that, but apparently in the ancient culture, they were really weird and they did this. So... He, this man would have been viewed suspiciously. And I've been to countries and cultures in the world where lame and disfigured and disabled people are viewed with suspicion and disdain. And this was a culture like that. Though the temple, the Jews had some compassionate laws which allowed him at least to be carried in so he could beg. But he was certainly a man on the outer, a man who was excluded. And Peter and John do this bona fide well Peter really, well Jesus through Peter, let's be clear, this miracle, this powerful deed takes place, and no one can deny it. they know this man is lame it's not just a setup you know it's not just some you know setup up to, to make out that, that God can heal he's lame people know this guy, and this powerful miracle happens so I want to talk a little just a bit about signs and wonders because it's an area in the church community that can become a little bit tense for us. And I wanna just chat briefly for a moment about that. Clearly that I said Jesus did signs and wonders, that's clear, but the church did too. And straight after this event in Acts chapter four, the church gathers for prayer after the authorities say to them, stop speaking in the name of Jesus. Imagine authorities not being happy that the church is speaking in the name of Jesus. Who would have thought, right? But they say, stop speaking in the name of Jesus or we'll punish you. And they're like, yeah, not gonna happen. <laughs> We're gonna listen to God rather than you, so do what you want. So they gather for prayer and Acts for the church. And this is one of the things they pray. Lord, would you, actually they don't pray. Lord, like, please keep us safe, protect us. Um, Lord, thank you that we can meet freely and we just, Pray that you protect us from these nasty people. No, they say, Lord, you hear their threats. You hear how they're threatening us to stop speaking in the name of Jesus. Lord, this is what we want you to do. Would you do more? Would you stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus? Would you give us boldness, Lord, to speak your word? They didn't retreat in and become frightened. They, I know that's tempting. And I know we can feel like that sometimes. Let's just be quiet, let's just get on with things and let's not make any issues or cause any hassles. No, that's not what they pray. And then in the book of Hebrews, the writer says, this salvation that's in Christ was first announced by the Lord Jesus, was confirmed to us by those who heard Him, that's the apostles like Peter and John. God also testified to this message of salvation by signs, wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. So it's quite clear that this is normal in the Bible. This was normal for Jesus. This was normal for church life. But it wasn't like, i use the word ubiquitous. You know, not everyone and every time and every place healing and miraculous signs took place, but God did them and God does them. We need to be warned by the Scriptures, be warned by Jesus about this area of signs and wonders because he said this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. but only he or she who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is his will? To believe in Jesus, to follow him, to serve him. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. What a warning from Jesus. Like yes, God does powerful deeds and signs and wonders, but don't get caught up in it. Don't get caught up in it. Get caught up in Jesus. Miracles don't save you. Jesus saves you. So even when Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, says the Gospel of John chapter 12, this is after he's raised Lazarus from the dead, even though he did all these miraculous signs, they still would not believe in him. And that's the key. John chapter 20 says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these signs and wonders are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of God may have life in His name. Now, some of you are probably on this spectrum, what I would call the the charisphobic spectrum. And you're like, hey, I've been there, done that. I've been burnt. I've seen some stupid stuff, some ridiculous stuff. I've seen people really hurt with this stuff. I'm over here. I'm like, whoa, no, no. I know people who've been really messed up by crazy ministry in Jesus' name that wasn't really in Jesus' name. It was in some guy with a suit and a funny hairdo's name. Um, so I'm evangelist. I've, I'm just weary. And I'm a bit bit nervous about that stuff. And I get that. You know, it's a pastoral thing. I've spoken with people who've been hurt. Not necessarily that people were malevolent or meaning to harm them or hurt them, but just through this process of prayer and being prayed for healing or whatever it might be, it hasn't happened for them and it's kind of been dumped on them. That we well, didn't have enough faith or there's something faulty in your faith and that's why God didn't break through for you. And people have been hurt and you're charisphobic. And then this. You guys over here. <laughs> or I might call the charismaniacs. And <laughs> you're like you're like that movie Twister where they chase the storms. You've seen that movie? Twister, they're like storm chasers. You're like miracle chasers. And you're like, we heard there's a miracle like somewhere over here, the 50 k Well let's all drive there through the night and get there because God's moving. You're like storm chasers, miracle chasers, and you're a bit obsessed with signs and wonders. And your faith perhaps needs to be you know, built up and and kind of based on God having to do really cool stuff all the time. Otherwise, you know, you're not really interested. And you may be forgetting some of that deeper intimacy, that that quiet walk with Jesus, that trusting Him in the storms, in in the hard places, the valleys, the dark valleys, that He's with you, even if He's not doing signs and wonders to have a faith that stands on Him, even in difficult times. So there's like two extremes. And then in the centre here, is, is pretty much all of us. This is where we are, right? We're, we're balanced. We're people who know that God can heal. He can, do, uh, he can do amazing stuff and we shouldn't limit God and we shouldn't be scared of God. Jesus said, if you ask God for the Holy Spirit, He's gonna give you something good. He's a good Father. Um, so we shouldn't be afraid, you know, singing songs like inviting God's Spirit to come. Shouldn't be afraid. Um, on the other hand, um, no, these people are afraid, that's right. You know, you know what I mean, like I mixed up my things there. Um, but we shouldn't be afraid of God, but we shouldn't be obsessed by these things either. We shouldn't uh, measure God's work in our lives or in our church on the basis of powerful deeds and mi- miraculous deeds. So we need to have a bit of a balance there and we'll talk about that as we go forward. But this is what Gordon Fee, Professor Gordon Fee, amazing scholar, he died recently, he's with the Lord, but he wrote this, The presence of the Spirit in power and the gifts of the Spirit um, make it easy for God's people to think of the power and gifts as real evidence of the Spirit's presence. You get that? He's saying when we see the power and the gifts, we think that that's the real evidence of the Holy Spirit. But this is what he says. That's not what the Bible teaches. The ultimate measure and criterion of the Spirit's activity is the exaltation of Jesus as Lord. So where Jesus is exalted, where Jesus is seen, where He's proclaimed, where He's taught, where He's known, where He's loved, where He's served, where He's worshipped, that's the real indicator of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And interestingly, throughout the church's history, as the book of Acts kind of got going and the church moved on, do you know they reckon that by the, about the year 300, the church was about 35 million from a group of 120 over 300 years it grew to about 35 million people. But do you know what the um, outsiders and the enemies of the church kind of looked to? It wasn't the miracles that impressed them mostly. It was this. There was an emperor, Emperor Julian. The Christians nicknamed him Julian the Apostate um, because he was a bad guy and he was anti-church, he was anti-Christian. Imagine there's leaders who are anti the church. Who would believe, right? But there was... And he was anti the church and he wrote a letter to one of his officials saying, hey, we've got to get our act together. These Christians are just blitzing the field with love and charity and service and kindness, not just to their own people, but to our pagan people. They're like doing this good stuff. And this is, that's him on a coin because when you're an emperor, you put your head on gold coins. That's what emperors do. Um, Why then, he said, he's writing this, do we observe how the kindness of Christians to strangers, their care for the burial of their dead and the sobriety of their lifestyle has done the most to advance their cause? He's like, why don't we see this? It's their good deeds, it's their kindness, it's their love, it's their mercy that's making people wanna join the church. And then he says, for it's disgraceful when no Jew is a beggar And the impious Galileans, that's what they call the Christians, support our poor in addition to their own. Everyone is able to see that our co-religionists, that's like our fellow pagans, are in want of aid from us. So he starts a revival to try and get charity happening in the empire, but it doesn't work, it falls flat because it's just a PR exercise. There's no basis for it. And the Christians had a basis. The love of God for humanity the love of Christ for people. Well, Peter and John see this man who would have been overlooked and walked past, but God says, look at him and help him. They see and they act. A church that sees, there's a church that acts. And do you know, you wanna see a miracle? Every time we drive past the hospital, thank God for the miracle of hospitals and thank God for the church who started hospitals. The hospital was in origin, says Dr. Gary Ferngren, um, and Conception, a distinctively Christian institution rooted in Christian concepts of charity and philanthropy. The only care of the sick and dying during the plague of 312, 313, where literally up to 30 to 50% of the population in some towns died in that plague. That's like 700,000 people in Adelaide dying in a year. From a plague. No charitable care of any kind, public or private, existed apart from Christian care because there was no religious, philosophical, or social basis for it. That's what really rocked the non Christian pagan world. Signs and wonders sure got attention, and God does that stuff, and we should pray for God to heal. We should pray for God to change things and move in situations. But what really got to the hearts of the people in the wider community around the church, was people that saw, people that looked at people and saw them as God saw them, and responded with love. So they were a church that that saw, a church that sees. They are also a church that speaks, and from this miracle, quite interestingly, Peter and John kind of play it down. If it was me. I'd be like, get the social media reels up. Let's get going here. Let's promote this thing. There's a revival. Let's build on this. Let's take an offering. Um, No, but they play it down. They kind of play it down. And the crowds start running in. There's this massive scene. Hundreds of people, if not thousands, are milling around. They have got this opportunity to leverage themselves, to kind of lift up their ministry. No, no, they don't do that. They play it down. And, and they begin to speak about Jesus. Peter preaches his second sermon, the second sermon of the church. He's done one, so he's got one under his belt. He's doing his second one. And you'll see that at the beginning of the book of Acts, Luke, the author, who's also a doctor, by the way, in, in my former book, Theophilus, he's writing to this eminent um, person in society, but we all get to be part of this text as well by God's Spirit. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now the reason he says that is Jesus began to do all this stuff and teach this stuff and now the church is continuing it. The church is continuing to do what Jesus did and to say what Jesus said. And that's our role as a church community to continue that. Now, interestingly, the congregation that he's preaching to, they believe in God, they read and know the Holy Scriptures, they regularly attend worship with other believers, they pray every day, they live moral and upright lives as best they can, they follow the Ten Commandments as best they can, they do good, they help the poor, they teach their children all of the above. That's who he's speaking to. But apparently it's not enough to be a good person. It's not enough just to do religious stuff. There's more that they have to enter into and he's about to tell them the more. But have a look at the content of his sermon. Sermon one and sermon two. I just want you to get this because this is our content as a church. No church should change this. This is the basis of what it means to be a church. He expounds the Old Testament Scripture inspired by God. He speaks of God the Father. He speaks of the life of Jesus of Nazareth, His death by crucifixion for our sins, His resurrection from the dead, His lordship and messianic status. He speaks of the Holy Spirit being promised and given to us in and through Jesus. He calls them to repent, to turn around, to change their mind and their way of life and start following Jesus, have their sins forgiven. He speaks of judgment ultimately from God and the restoration that God will bring to all things. This is the first two sermons of the church and ultimately we haven't changed anything. We have some, you know, come at it from different ways and we have some different emphasis and we do different things, but this is the core and the crux of the church community. Interestingly, this is not what he preaches in his first and second sermons. God has a plan for your life and will fix all your problems. God accepts you as you are. God will never disagree with you or challenge your lifestyle or choices. He doesn't preach God wants you to overthrow the structural injustice of society. He doesn't preach God wants to put you at the centre of his life. And he doesn't say, give a financial gift to this ministry and God will bless you. He doesn't say any of that. He preaches the Old Testament Scriptures, the Word of God. He preaches God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Holy Spirit. He says, turn and repent and follow Him. Give your life to Him. He gave His life for you. God is coming to judge the living and the dead and He will restore all things ultimately. Your only hope is Jesus. Your only way out of this mess is Jesus. I got an amen. I didn't even ask. And then the conclusion of the sermon, this is the first and second sermon in the history of the church. This is what Peter says to the people gathered. Repent. Now I've done some colour matching there just for those who are visual, you know. You can can match them here. Two different sermons. Sermon one up the top, sermon two down the bottom, the conclusion. Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Maybe you didn't know you need your sins forgiven, but you do, I do. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then this sermon in Acts 3, and the lame man's been healed. This is the church speaking publicly. It's a public event. They are out in the public square. And this is what they're saying. People, you have to repent. You have to turn around. You have to change your thinking about yourself and God and the world. And you have to align it with Jesus. You have to follow Him. You have to believe in Him. You have to trust Him. Repent, turn to God so that, your sins may be wiped out. Isn't that a beautiful image? Your sins wiped out. And times of refreshing, which I think is a nice creative way of saying the Spirit coming. Times of refreshing will come from the Lord and that He may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Now we don't change the message, church we can contextualize it this is what missionaries do when they go into a culture they're like let's find the the points of reference there and the ways that we can connect with this culture with the gospel but they don't change the message we're not called to do that there's some things in culture as Christians we can receive i don't think there's anything evil about going to the football do you think though i remember when i lived in melbourne for many years it was very i felt very vulnerable going to like a, a Collingwood game and I was barracking for the Crows. You know, the, evil could take place there, I'm sure. But there's not, there's something in, in culture, some things that aren't, we can receive them and participate in them as Christians. That's fine. There are some things we need to reject. Okay, go, no, that, that's crossing a line. We can't participate in that. God doesn't call us to join in that. There are some, some things we redeem. We kind of take them and change them and use them for God and His kingdom but they were thrown in jail and the religious and civic authorities ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. That's what happened. It's very easy for us at times to make this truce with culture and society. It's like, okay, just leave us, get on with our Christian lives and our little ghettos, uh, you know, little religious clubs and we'll leave you alone. That's not what the early church did. They went public with this message. They took it to the streets. So we see that this was a church that sees It was a church that speaks. And out of a church that sees and a church that speaks the good news of Jesus, we see a God who saves. A God who saves. A response of faith to this message. Listen to what they responded. Sermon one, sermon two. Pretty good day for the church. Those who accepted his message from Acts two, were baptized. Those being baptized next week. That's what we're doing, right? This is this is what it's about. You believe and you're baptized, and about three thousand were added to the number that day. That's a lot of extra tea and coffee. We're going to need a bigger coffee machine, people. That's that's a lot of people. That's huge, right? God did this amazing, powerful thing, and all these people came. Acts chapter three, they see, they speak the name of Jesus, and it says many who. Heard the message, believed. They had saving faith. God saved them. When the church sees the need, moves out into the public square, proclaims the name of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, God does something that we can't do. He saves people. I think about it sometimes like this. No, I'm not going to say that because i probably get it wrong. Well, let me have a go at it. But if I mess it up, just be kind to me, right? Because this is off my notes. Okay, it's like not everyone who hears the gospel of Jesus will be saved. But no one will be saved unless they hear the gospel of Jesus. Okay? So we shouldn't like, there were 3,000 out that day, but there were like 100,000 in the city. So not everyone responded. That's okay. That's with God and people, not with us. But what are they being saved from? What are the, what are, There's a dimension of things that God is saving us from. That man was saved from his exclusion at one level, physically. He was excluded because of his physical condition from God's people under the old covenant. He was excluded. But ultimately, we're all excluded from God because of our sin. In one way, he was lame physically, unable to walk. But all humanity is lame spiritually, Unable to rise up and please God and meet God on His terms. We're all in need of someone to raise us up. And we're all excluded from God until He does that through His Son, Jesus. So look at the passage in, in the Old Testament that, that talks a little bit about this. It's His Exodus. I just want to throw a bit of Old Testament in there because I just said the early church used the Old Testament, so I should too. Um, Leviticus, the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron for the generation, this is about the priests, none of your descendants who have a defect may come near to offer the food of his God. No man has, who has any defect may come near. No man who is blind or lame, disfigured or deformed. No man with a crippled foot or hand. There was a sense that God was teaching his people in time that, that, that he is holy. He is other. He is awesome. And there's a difference between him and us. There's a difference between clean and unclean, holy and unholy, righteous and unrighteous. He was training his people to see this. But in Jesus, this day, you need to understand that that wall was broken down, that no longer are people excluded because of their physical appearance from God's presence, from God's people. That doesn't count. That doesn't matter anymore. That day is over. And this man was not just healed physically, though he was, he was healed spiritually and restored to his heavenly Father. He was healed by becoming part of the community. There's this beautiful image I'll talk about in just a moment, where as Peter and John are preaching, the man's hanging on to them, clinging on to them. He's part of the community of faith. He's been healed spiritually. He's been healed physically. He's been healed socially and communally as he comes into the body of Christ. Now, Just on inclusion and exclusion, they're kind of big words in our culture and society. And I like tackling big things, though I'm not sure I do it really well. But it's an issue where it's like inclusion is such a buzzword now, you know, and the the word exclusion is is the same. And we're really big on inclusion. And that's a good thing. Inclusion is God's heart ultimately. But it's not like a blank check inclusion. That's not the inclusion that Jesus offers. Listen to what... um, Dr. Mark Roberts says, in some ways, Jesus and the early church were radically and scandalously inclusive. In other ways, Jesus and the early church were surprisingly exclusive. Jesus, for example, did not include within his community those who were unwilling to receive the kingdom of God humbly and with repentance. Moreover, he did not include in the kingdom sinners as sinners but rather offered them the possibility of forgiveness, wholeness, and new life. Repentant and redeemed sinners were included by Jesus. And this grates at our society. We're kind of told, no, you have to include everybody. You have to include everything. You have to accept everything. Now, it's kind of like this. Jesus welcomes you where you are, but He won't necessarily leave you as you are or where you are. There's a pathway into his kingdom and he's the king. So you might get angry at the church. You're like, well, you're just narrow-minded and you're just intolerant and you're just bigoted. No, talk to Jesus about it. He's inviting you. The kingdom's open to you. Come in Jesus' name, but on his terms and in his way. So... This is what Tom Wright says. Always got to quote Tom Wright in a message because he's just a good writer if you've never come across Tom Wright, N.T. Wright. It's not the case then that God simply accepts us as we are. And that might have grated a bit earlier when I said Peter didn't preach, God accepts you as you are. Um, God welcomes us where we are, but no, the reason he doesn't accept us as we are is why Jesus had to come <laughs> to die for us to heal us from our wildness and our sinfulness and to forgive us. It's not simply true that God accepts us as we are. He invites us as we are, but responding to that invitation always involves the complete transformation which is acted out in repentance, turning away from our old life, from the flesh turning um, to forgiveness, being baptised, receiving His Spirit. There's a pathway in through Jesus which includes those things. And I know that that, the secular God of inclusion doesn't like that sort of language, but as Peter and John said, well, we don't care. We're going to teach and preach Jesus and you deal with Him about it because these are His ideas, His thoughts, His teaching. We're not making it up in our own mind. Now, what's in a name? Listen to the, the passage as we go through The church that sees, the church that speaks, the God who saves. How does he save? Listen to the the way the name of Jesus is out through this passage. And this goes on into chapter four, which next week someone's going to preach about. Um, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk in his name, in his power. Um, By faith, Peter says to the onlookers, it's by faith in the name of Jesus. Don't look at us. We're just a couple of blokes. The man you see now was made strong in the name of Jesus. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. It is, this is a bit later on when the authorities have put him in jail. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus did this. Jesus did this. Talk to him about it. Jesus is Lord. He did this. It's in his name. And how's this cracker in verse four? In chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. That's pretty exclusive, right? For there is no other name. Say that after me. No other name. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we can be saved, reunited with God, forgiven reconciled with God, made right with God. There's no other name. This is the the way. This is the gate. Jesus is the door. He is the way. And I know I'm at a church community and most of you aren't surprised by that. But there may be someone here this morning who's like thinking maybe there's lots of different ways, lots of different paths and they will kind of get you there eventually. To the mountain. But the name of Jesus makes people grow up, says Tom Wright, become whole people, rinsed out and renewed, standing on their own feet, literally, as the lame man now was, morally, spiritually, and personally. And that's what we find here, where Luke uses an unusual word to mean complete wholeness. That's what is on offer through the gospel message, which announces the powerful name of Jesus. Believing in him, in the power of his name, is the way to wholeness in the 21st century, just as in the first century. And this is part of a bigger story as well that the apostles are preaching and that the church is telling as well. A bigger story that says it's not just your personal salvation, though it is. Jesus died and was raised to life to save us. But He's gonna restore all things. He's gonna eradicate evil and injustice and wickedness and violence. He's gonna come again to judge the living and the dead and restore all things. And in a beautiful passage in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 35, it talks about restoration. It's It's a verse that looks ahead to the messianic age when the Messiah would come. And listen to the imagery it uses, it's beautiful. Then when the Messiah comes, the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert that age has come in jesus and he's doing a new thing and remember we are like that layman Without Jesus, we are unable to save ourselves. We are unable to make ourselves right with God. We are unable to please God. We are unable to do what God requires of us unless He raises us up. And He's done that by faith in Jesus, by trust in Him and following Him and loving Him, receiving His Spirit. He helps us up. He welcomes us into God's presence. Now, for those who are going through a difficult time, physically, suffering, those who are suffering mental, emotional pain that that very few or no one else knows about, this is not incidental. This is not overlooked by God. Suffering is very real and God cares and God has acted compassionately in Christ as we've seen with this lame man. And as a church community, we want to pray for people who are suffering physically, mentally, emotionally. We want to do that. We want to be mindful and helpful of those who are weak, those who need a hand, need to be carried, need to be lifted up. We want to do that and we will do that. And just as we close, maybe as the team comes up, um, oh, I've got one team member here already. Um, you guys are amazing here. Uh, As we close, we're gonna have a chance to to pray for people. We're gonna ask King Jesus, Lord Jesus, would you bless and intervene and help this person? Lord, would you strengthen and encourage and help them, God? We're gonna do that. If you want that to be something that that you would would like in terms of a response. The elders are gonna come up the front in a moment. The prayer team's gonna be on the sides. uh, And just very quietly as we worship, we're gonna call people to say, we don't need to know all the details. Just come up and hold your hands out, and we're just going to pray for you and bless you and ask King Jesus to speak into your life, to see your life afresh. And I want to finish with this, though, because I think this is really important to say. And it's Joni Erickson Tata. She was made quadriplegic when she was a teenager through an accident. She spent the last 50 years of her life immobile in mobile and a wheelchair, having pretty much everything done for her. And yet she's had a a worldwide ministry that's changed and impacted lives. I love what she says because I think this is the heart of the Gospel we need to hear. God's power always shows up best in weakness. So here I sit, glad that I have not been healed on the outside, but glad that I have been healed on the inside, healed from my own self-centred wants and wishes. Listen to this. He, King Jesus, has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. The more intense the pain, the closer the embrace. And that's the Gospel. Everyone gets the embrace of God in this life. Everyone gets to be restored to their Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ in this life. And sometimes in God's sovereignty, in His purposes, He chooses to act powerfully and to change a situation and to heal and to raise and to restore and bless in a physical sense, powerfully, immediately. Other times it's gradual. It's a gradual healing over time. But we we don't wanna heap stuff on people who are suffering as though their faith is faulty or they've done something wrong. No, you can have Jesus, all of Jesus, and in Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And you get to have Him. He's the treasure. He's the miracle. Salvation is the miracle. It's in Him. And you get to have Him. And then one day, everyone in Him will have their healing. They'll have their release. They'll have their freedom. Joni will run <laughs> through the fields of the will happen at the future. He's promised that. And sometimes some of those future things are being dropped back in the present now. But let's hold it carefully. The man was raised from his lameness. But let's just be real here. He died eventually, right? So we will too. Something got him in the end. So we walk in attention as a church. We pray for healing. We encourage people to trust in Jesus. We help them in their suffering. We walk alongside those who are sick and suffering and we trust the sovereignty of God for each person's heart. So let's finish with this response. Church, person, individual, He sees you. He sees you. He sees you. He speaks to you. He speaks to you now. He can save you saved you. But maybe this is a time where Jesus is speaking to you. You can come forward for prayer and say, I'm believing in Jesus for the first time. I'm trusting in Him. I believe He's spoken to me today. And let's be a church that sees, that sees the need, the hurt, the brokenness in our world. Let's be a church that sees that. I know you are, we are, but let's continue to be that. Let's be a church that speaks continues to speak the name of Jesus, the one who saves. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You. We thank You for Your love and Your mercy. We thank You for Your grace. Lord, You see us. You came from heaven because You see us. You didn't leave us alone as orphans. You didn't leave us to our own devices. You came You saw the need, you saw the suffering, you heard the cry of humanity. Jesus, you came to this earth and lived that perfect, beautiful life. You gave your life, your perfect, holy, sinless life in love for us. You died in our place and you took upon yourself the judgment and wrath of God against our sin and sinfulness. You bore that in your body, Lord Jesus. You suffered and died for each and every person here. But Lord, not only that, each and every one of us were like those Israelites in Peter's second sermon. We, we killed the author of life. It was our sin, our rebellion. Lord Jesus, forgive us. Have mercy on us. Lord, fill us with your Spirit. Speak to us in this moment. We know that you are the God who sees, the God who blesses, the God who heals, the God who speaks. Lord, we trust you in your sovereignty as we pray for dear brothers and sisters who may be struggling. Lord Jesus Christ, even if they're not struggling, you can come forward for prayer just to say, can you pray that God would help me love him and thank him even more because he's so wonderful. Lord, as we pray into this space, as we worship, Jesus, this is your church. We are your people rightly, and throne yourself among us, Lord Jesus, and do your work and speak your words in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.